Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. It is Christmas Eve. I think I've been releasing these on Sundays normally, but uh, Sunday's Christmas, so I know I won't do that. So I'm going to make a quick recording today to say uh, Merry Christmas to all that celebrate such things and Happy New Year to everybody. And I want to talk just briefly about magic. <laughs> so I was running my OD&D campaign with my chainmail, basically unchained, effectively my OD&D hack. And one of the players wanted to cast a detect magic spell in a crowded tavern. And they said, well, am I going to be able to do this without, you know, somebody noticing me? And, you know, there aren't really, as far as I can tell, somebody can call in and let me know if I'm wrong about this, at least in the little three brown books, it doesn't say anything about what the process of casting a spell is. And in a way, I kind of like this. I know that they added in later editions like somatic, vocal, and material components to make the spell casting a little bit more flavorful or more difficult depending on how you want to look at it. But in OD&D, it doesn't say how the spells are cast. And part of me really, really likes this. I feel like if you are casting a spell, then perhaps each spell could be slightly different. So I, I may look into that a little bit in writing my, for instance, summon elemental, right? You're probably going to want to have like a bonfire, which is the kind of thing I use for chain mail. A fire elemental, that is. But let's say charm person, you might just speak a strange word. I think that in the end, so in the end, what happened was, and my players are great because they assumed that they would be seen. So they tried to figure out a way to get around it. They made a scene or whatever. And I, you know, whatever it worked out, I didn't make them roll anything. It just happened to be that their idea was good. So I was like, yeah, nobody's going to hear you cast a spell if you're making a ruckus over here. But it occurred to me as I was driving home that if we look at OD&D and we think, well, it's based on Vance, right? The magic system. I think everybody's pretty, pretty on board about that. Well, in Vance, to my knowledge, at least in the uh, in the first three books, it seems like the spells are cast just by speaking a single word or phrase. In other words, you just finish the spell. You let it loose from your brain. You say, you speak the words. I'm pretty sure it does say that. Again, those who uh, have read it more recently than me can correct me. I know in the last book, the fourth book, there's a lot more to it. They use like little, well, I feel what they're called, but like genies basically or whatever. But I should read Dying Earth again. Such a great series. But anyways. So I think officially my rule is going to be, I mean, at the table, you know, as we say, rulings over rules, right? I just decided, well, in this case, it didn't matter. I said, but what I did say was, if you walk up to somebody and cast a spell in their face, they're going to know you're casting a spell because something about it is going to be unique. You can't just walk up to somebody and say, I'm casting Charm Person. And by walking up to them and saying, hey, buddy, you're my best friend. But I think if you walk up to a single person and you cast Charm Person on them, and they fail their saving throw, they're not going to realize it. But if you walk up to somebody and cast Charm Person and they succeed on their saving throw, or somebody else hears you, they will probably realize there's some kind of strange language being spoken there. Obviously, you can try to disguise it and be clever about it, but I think that's how I'm going to handle most spells. It's just going to be a single phrase. That means that, and this does make spell casting a little more powerful, you think about it, they don't need their hands free. They don't necessarily need material components, although I may add that to some future spells. But I think as a patch right now, I'm just going to say, if you can speak the words, you can cast a spell. So I would love to know what you think about this. Uh, you know, let me know. Give me a call. But before we do that, before I give you the whole, you can, well, you can call me right now if you'd like. <laughs> but before I give you the whole spiel of how you can reach out to me, I do have a couple of calls from Jason. So let's hear those. I'm trying a new way of recording this, so hopefully they sound okay. Hey, Daniel. Enjoyed your latest episode. 
Yeah, I agree. OD&D is fascinating. It's definitely something I would like to play a little more. Um, <laughs> I, I need to retire so my work schedule doesn't get in the way of games. Um, but, yeah, OD&D, you look at those early days where science, fic, science fantasy and fantasy and, you know, it's all mixed together freely. You don't have people worried, oh, I can't have laser guns in my D&D. You know, none of that stuff. It's all, you know, portal fantasy. All that stuff's right there in OD&D. Really great stuff. Um, as far as your solo play, I was able to watch your video and really enjoyed it. So I look forward to that solo play series. As far as modifying the alternate combat system in OD&D, yeah, I mean, that would work. I, I, I do think you would have to do it for all the... Well, you don't have to do it for all the characters, but I could see players complaining if you didn't do it for all the characters. Uh, I, I'm all for anything to boost fighters up, but... I don't know. I, I think I would go up about it a little bit differently if I wanted to boost fighters up in OD&D as opposed to just rolling fists full of dice. Uh, I'd have to think about it. I kind of like the idea of Chainmail, to be honest, over the Alternate Combat System. It's just, like you found, it's not as easy as just, oh, I'm going to pick up Chainmail and run it. it. It still requires quite a number of tweaks, which is a shame that it, you know, it's not better, wasn't better thought out by them when they put the books out uh, because it does take work to do it. I think it's probably worth the work, but yeah, it's not a gimme. So anyhow, keep up the great work and I will talk to you soon. By the way, love monsters and treasure. Great podcast. Looking forward to future episodes of that. All right. So that was Jason from the nerds RPG variety cast. Lots of stuff there. Cause I guess I had lots of stuff in my last episode. I'll start with the last thing so I don't forget. I have launched a new podcast, Monsters and Treasure, with my friend Kevin. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. I talk about a variety of subjects. I believe that there are probably three, possibly four episodes available. I think three at this point. I kind of screwed up last week and released the episode a little bit too late, but uh, there's three episodes out there now. We're talking about a bunch of different stuff, all gaming related. We're going to start getting into... We've already recorded the first six episodes, so those are all about gaming. But we're going to try to talk a little bit more like fantasy novels and movies and stuff and incorporate that. You know, we're just trying to approach the thing as two guys just talking about D&D. So hopefully people are enjoying it. And like I say, check that out. I appreciate it. As to whether or not like every class should be modified, if I do this D20 mod that I was talking about the last podcast, I think, yeah, you would want to do that. You're essentially using your fighting ability from Chainmail and you're just using D20s. And I guess people just like D20s. That's the only reason why I'm looking in this direction. I mean, if you think about it, if you look at, now I haven't looked at Greyhawk and Blackmore in a while because I just made a decision after I read through everything that I just wanted the first three books. It seems like they added stuff. They added the armor versus weapons. They added hit locations, I think, in Blackmore. So they were trying to get that, like, crunch, if you will, that Chainmail had. But they went about it wrapping it around the alternate combat system because clearly people must have liked that better. I don't exactly know why, but people just favored that system. Now, that, maybe for the simplicity of it, I guess. Now, that being said, I, right, there's lots of ways to modify a fighter, and I would love to do a, a joint. You know, I've never had a guest on my show. Jason, if you'd like to come on, we could each jot down three or four ways that we could modify fighters for OD&D and see, how, see if we can come up with something that works for both of us. I've done a few different things. I definitely think, though, that running OD&D straight up with the fighters not having anything different and using the alternate combat system does really, to use a modern term, I guess, nerf the fighter. I feel like you just don't, there's almost no reason to play a fighter except for the fact that you can use magic swords, which obviously is a huge reason 
But really, fighters coming out of the gate are just just basically at the same fighting ability, more or less, as everybody else. At the very least, I would use their... Uh, to give them a plus one, right? Because it's supposed to be, as Chainmail writes it, man plus one, right? So I think at the very least, I'd give fighters a little boost. But yeah, let's let's talk uh, how can how can we modify fighters. There's lots of systems that do it, uh, like Lamentations of Flame Princess, but I won't get into that now because I'm trying to entice Jason to call on over. So he does have another call, so let's listen to his next call. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Just want to call in about Freebooter number eight. And I know that's a Patreon thing and not everybody can hear it, but I thought you brought up an interesting point that... I, I know you weren't saying this is unique to this, but I think it's a point a lot of people overlook. And that's because in that adventure that you used, the monsters weren't statted out. You can obviously stat them for any level, so you can run that adventure for any level characters. And we can do this with any game, right? And, and again, I, I know you're not saying you can't do that, but I, I think people sometimes forget that, that just because you pick up this really cool module, because it's for fifth level characters, doesn't mean you can't run it for a new first level group. All you have to do is change the stats to make it realistic for that first level group, right? It might take a little work for you as the GM, but you can pretty much take any module and run it for any level characters by just adjusting things around. And and, and I worry that maybe newer players or players that aren't used to the idea of homebrewing or, or some of the OSR stuff might miss out on that fact that you can easily modify pretty much anything. It doesn't even have to be the same system, of course. You know, you can pick any module for any game, any game system that looks cool and run it for any level in your in your game. Just because it has what normally would be high-level monsters in, the, in a module doesn't mean you can't make it easier and change the stats to let that first level group do something similar, you know, and, and you might have to adjust a couple things, but you, you know, we can really use this, these inspirational things for any of our games. We're not limited to, Oh, you need to make seventh to ninth level characters. Cause that's the only way we can play this module. You, you know what I mean? So anyway, that I, I was just thinking about that while you were talking about that in Freebooter 8. And I thought maybe that was something to be useful for your entire listening audience. Take care. Thanks, Jason. Uh, yeah, that is actually a really good point. So I was talking about the adventures uh, written by Michael Prescott. Uh, Trilemma, I think is what they're called. I I never have it in front of me when I'm doing this. Uh, so I'll put a link again in the show notes. Basically, they have they create these what would be effectively one room, one room, one page dungeons, and nothing has stats. It's just it'll just say something like wraiths or ghouls or orcs or a lot of times there's there are creatures that they're just made up the name. Like they, they use worm a lot, right? What's a worm? It could be a dragon, I guess. And if you get the adventure anthology, I think it's called. Again, I'll put a link in the in the show notes. I believe that he does actually kind of spell out what some of these monsters are with more description. But again, never with any stats. And my point was that it was great because I could just pick whatever levels I wanted. I wanted to run a fourth level adventure. So I just made the creatures, you know, equivalent. And I, I, I agree that you can do this. I wonder, though, how easy it is. Okay, so for instance, just kind of devil's advocate here, even though I 100% agree with Jason. If I have a first level party or a second level or whatever, first or third level, and I have this like six to eight level adventure, and I say, you know, I really want to run this for my first through first, first through third level party. So there's a dragon in here. So I'm just going to make the dragon three hit die. That way the dragon's beatable by these people. 
and it's it works, right? We need to make sure, of course, and this is, I'm sure Jason knows this, but I'll just put it out there. We need to make sure that that we make it clear that not all dragons are this weak, right? Because we don't want the characters to think, oh, well, dragons are easy to kill. You, you need to do this by making the dragons small. And the, the funny thing is, if you look at BX, for instance, or OD&D, this is actually very usable because you can take a very young or newborn, whatever they call it. No, I actually do have the OD&D books in front of me, so let me just take a quick look here on the dragons. If we look in Monsters and Treasure, for instance, we we'll use dragons as the example because it's the first thing I said and the easiest one to do, I think. They actually have, yeah, there's categories, age categories, very young, and very young dragons are only one hit point per die. So even if you're looking at, let's say, let's say you had a white dragon, the, that white dragon could theoretically only have five hit points, right? So it could be a little baby white dragon. And at least the player characters know that <laughs> the, the dragon's, you know, only a baby because it's small, right? And because the way breath weapons works, the breath weapon just does five points of damage. So that means that somebody caught in the dragon's breath, like a fighter or, well, if you use an OD&D, anybody could have up to six hit points at first level. So they theoretically might not die even if they fail their saving throw being hit by the dragon's breath. So you 100% can do this with anything. You could take a hill giant that's like eight hit die and just make it a juvenile hit, hit hill giant that's got four hit dice or... You know, uh, you could actually have <laughs> that would be really fun. You could actually have somebody who's just like, I don't know, like eight feet tall or seven and a half feet tall. So big for a human. Right. Maybe not even unrealistic that they could be a human, but they're actually like a very young hill giant and give them like three hit die and have them running around a town, trashing the place and beating people up because they're very strong. Right. And then have the party have to face them. And it's like, what is this thing? And it turns out that, you know, this is a hill giant. And if they run them off or, or they defeat them or whatever in some way, perhaps later on, you know, the parents might rem remember. <laughs> so that could actually be super fun. I, re I really like this idea of just... So I guess my point being is that, yes, I think you can take any adventure, take a high-level adventure, send low-level characters, a low-level adventure, send high-level characters, and adjust the monsters appropriately, either by having them more or less hit die than normal, if you will, and just making sure there's a reason for that. Maybe the creature's smaller or bigger or radiated or magically imbued somehow, depending on your world works, or just changing the monsters, right? If it's got owl bears, you could change them into orcs, right? And then that makes it, I mean, obviously that probably isn't a perfect switch, but you know, you could do regular bears because I don't think a regular bear is that many less hit dice than an owl bear. But my point being is that you could swap the monsters too, although I think that's probably more work and probably kills the flavor of the adventure. And you also just need to be a little bit wary, obviously, of what's in the adventure. Because if you send your first level characters on an adventure where there's supposed to be a dragon and they, you know, but now your dragon only has five hit points instead of a lot of hit points, you know, they're not going to walk away with 100,000 gold pieces. But again, OD&D covers that because very young and the, whatever the category above that dragons don't have any treasure, <laughs> you know, so... You could actually, it's very easy to do. And so I think using the dragon, this is, boy, this could have been an episode all by itself. Using the dragon as an example, we can actually show how you can take a singular monster and run it for all different levels with appropriate treasure, with appropriate uh, difficulty in fighting it. Let me know if you want me to do that. Maybe I'll make an entire episode where I make kind of a minor, like I'll just, I'll stat out, let's say some dragons for different level parties to kind of show you how I, how I would do it. If you're interested, but I'm sure that since you're listening to this, you probably are willing to willing and more than able to just do that yourself. So as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I hope you have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. 
Happy New Year. I'll probably podcast before New Year, but I'm not 100% sure. I may take that week off. I really appreciate everybody listening. And as I said at the beginning as well, I'll tell you how you can call into the show if you just check the show notes. That's It's as simple as that. The mystery has been solved. Down there, you will find a link to Anchor where you could just simply press the button and record a message. You could also join my Discord server. And if you do that, you could send me a private message like Jason did, and I will play it on the air. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you could uh, follow me on Patreon. There are, as Jason hinted at, some benefits there. There's some other podcasts and stuff I do for the patrons. I'll put some links again in the show notes for the stuff I talked about in this episode. And... I'll talk to you soon.